So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Rockstar Nation, we got a great returning guest, one of my favorite guys to talk about all things real estate because he holds, what do you say? He holds no punches. He, he, you know, he doesn't speak in cliches and he tells it like it is when it comes to real estate and what's going on in the real estate, mainly the real estate investing market, but also the real estate, uh, you know, agent market because it's, you know, so much of our market now, some of our transactions now our cash buyers more than ever before so much of our market now is investors buying uh, more than ever before and we're going to talk about is that good is that bad what to do about it as an agent how to make more money and commissions as an agent working with investors and everything real estate so without further ado clayton morris welcome back to real estate rock stars my friend Thank you for having me back on. Always great to see you and great to catch up and talk some real estate today. Thanks, Pat. Hey, buddy. Why don't you just kind of give everybody a little rundown? I mean, your last episode was uh, 631, so we got 100 episodes ago or so. In case they hadn't heard that one, why don't you uh, give everybody a little update on who you are and what you do? Sure. I used to work in national television for most of my most of my professional career. So 18 years in morning television. In the last 10 years, I spent a decade at the network at the Fox News Channel. So anchoring the morning show, uh, Fox and Friends morning show. That was my gig, and so I'd be up at six. Or I'd be on the air from six to ten in the morning, talking about you know everything that's going on in the world and a four hour live broadcast. And the whole time I was there, I was you know, building and buying real estate, uh, buying single family properties. It's because before I got to the network, I lost my job and lost my job uh, in television because it just didn't renew my contract at a, at a local television affiliate. And, you know, I sort of flash back to my dad being 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, he lost his job. And I just said, you know, I'm not going to work for somebody else anymore. I'm not going to work where someone else can dictate the future of my life. And so uh, when I got to the Fox News channel, I just started buying single family residential properties in C and B class neighborhoods, blue collar areas where there's stable jobs, you know, the local hospital, local post office, you name it. And those have been, those have been the bulk of my portfolio ever since. And I continue to buy. I just bought three this week, the exact same neighborhoods that I'm currently buying in. I've always bought in and that's been the secret of my success. And then I retired from television about a year ago and just focus on helping people build financial freedom and trying to educate like you are trying to get the message out there. Cause you know, Pat, this is the stuff we were never taught in school. And I find it incredibly frustrating that I could be out to dinner with really wealthy people who are doctors who literally don't know what a 1031 exchange is, you know, don't know how to truly build wealth the right way. They just have a lot of cash sitting there in the stock market. And we saw what happened over the past few weeks. And we saw what happened again yesterday, another 800 point dip in the stock market. And so just, you know, we're beating the drum to try to help people build financial intelligence. So, you know, this is interesting because, you know, real estate agents are the worst, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I stereotype them. Um, 
you know, it's a, the commissions are fat. And what happens when you get fat commissions are, you know, it seems like free money, right? It seems like excess, mm-hmm. right? It seems like excess. Like when you get a salary, right? It's, it's, it's normal to pay the bills, whatever. And you're generally living, you make, you have five bucks left over. But with, with real estate, sometimes you pay the bills one month and you have excess thousands and thousands of dollars. So then they tend to go and, and buy a bigger watch, tend to go and buy a bigger car, you know, spend $50,000 on landscaping on their yard. But then of course they get, you know, then, you know, six months later, then they hit a slump and then they don't pay their taxes. And it's, I see it over and over and over again. So what advice can you give to real estate agents to avoid this trap? Well, it's a great, great question. And I love that you, you don't pull any punches on this either because it's true. It's true. When you're a real estate agent, you, I mean, it is a transactional business, you know, it, it's an absolute transactional business. So you're making a paycheck, you're making a paycheck, and then it's, you're only as good as your last paycheck until, you, you know, you move forward and get to your next paycheck, your next payday. But a lot of times real estate agents, you know, get like a $15,000 commission, like, you know, boom, I'm going to go buy that boat. I'm going to go do these other items and, and not actually plan correctly for their wealth building. Uh, one key area I would say to really help people is I was trying to find the episode number of my podcast because we had on Mike Michalowicz, who he's the author of Profit First. We had him on my show and we talked specifically about setting yourself up for success as a real estate investor. It was episode 355 of the Investing in Real Estate show with Clayton Morris. And we had Mike Michalowicz on And I have to say his profit first book changed my life, changed my wife's life. I mean, because we structure for paying yourselves first, your profits go to you first. You know, finances are an integral part of running any business. And if you're a real estate agent, you are in business and you've got to remember to pay yourself first. And that's where most people go wrong is that they end up paying all their expenses. They do these other things and then they have nothing left over. They're wasting their money and they're not putting it in the right places. I also say, look, you're a real estate agent. You're out there on the front lines with the ability to find amazing deals. So if you're getting these big paydays and you're also set up and structured as an LLC or you're running your property, you're running yourself as a business, then you should be able to funnel that money properly into real estate investments so that you're limiting your overall taxable, you know, tax base and tax burden. And you're also then setting yourself up for financial success. So I would say follow the profit first system. And don't make that mistake of thinking that this like big payday is just that. It's just because you're only as good as your next paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. And of course, it's 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 simple, right? Pay yourself first. Uh, it's a simple statement, hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Like like uh, how how does someone know how much to pay themselves first? And should they just plow it into a, a small single family homes? I, I know you're into small single family homes. Mm-hmm. A lot of agents will say to me, I'm like, dude, just invest, just buy something. And they're like, oh, I don't want to buy in the ghetto or I don't want to buy, you know, or I can't buy in my market because, you know, the houses are too expensive or the numbers don't work. And I'm like, well, drive an hour and a half, right? Buy, you know, go, go somewhere. You could just buy something little and rent it out just to get your feet wet and then do more of them. As it, as it works. Like, tell us like your story yeah. on that. Well, I mean, look, and this is not a pat myself on the back, but that's a whole reason I created my company was because to help people that are in it overpriced markets, you know? So 
we work with people all the time. I work with agents all the time who are, you know, are in California and they buy a property with us because it's cheaper. You know, it's in the 60,000 range, all in renovated with a tenant in place. You know? <laughs> right. So when you're, you know, you're out and you're an expensive part of the world down there and I'm an expensive part of the world. I don't buy properties where I live in New Jersey, but my team where we're located in the Midwest and other areas, that's what we do. I was just, I spent three days just walking through about 50 properties that we're buying that we're in the middle of renovating right now. You know, teams scattered all over. They're digging drywall, mud and walls, the whole thing, putting on new roofs, new windows, new mechanicals, everything. But, you know, we're able to pick them up in the 40s. We're putting 20, 25,000 into it roughly, you know, just giving you some ballpark numbers. Cash flow in 850, 900 a month um, in areas where there's stable blue collar jobs. So my point is, if you're not in an area, like I'm, the same exact size square foot house, 950 square foot house that, I'm, that I buy, not in New Jersey. If I go down the street, I'll find the exact same price a house here, over $350,000. Now, that's a terrible investment. The ROI is not there. So most properties, the, most, the best investment properties are not in your backyard. And you might have to do a little work. And you might have to go outside of your comfort zone and you have to hire a good property management company to make sure that your property is being taken care of. So you just got to come out of that comfort zone. I mean, if you live in New York City, you live in, you know, outside of Manhattan, you live, you know, in Miami or you live in Charleston, South Carolina, you're not going to find a good investment property in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Just that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So I think if you, if you come to terms with that, and then you start to look at how you can put your money into real estate in other areas where there are solid blue collar neighborhoods uh, that are appreciating, which is icing on the cake, but that you have those st- stable American-based jobs at the hospitals, the, 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 you know, the school systems, and those types of places, then you're making a smart investment. So you're like the, the three houses you just bought, where were they? They were in Michigan. Okay, so you're in Michigan, right? And you buy three houses, three small houses. You know, you, you fix them up, you rent them out. I'm just curious, like, where were these people renting before? Like, why, why is it that there's such a demand, right, for these small single-family homes as rentals, you know? Because, well, they're not building any more of them. You know, that's the other thing. So, as your real estate agents know who listen to this show, these – the, the homes that are being built where there is a high demand are for those that second and third home market, right? So it's those homes that are selling and the construction teams cannot keep up with them. You know, they're selling in the seven, $800,000 range or the five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars range. So no one's building in these established neighborhoods where I buy. Nobody, right? Nobody's you know, buying, building the little stuff. Even if the government tries to incentivize mm-hmm. them, Build some affordable housing. You know, none of them do it, right? There's no profit in it, and it doesn't make sense. Not that there's no profit, but the profit per lot mm-hmm. is less. So, it's it's yeah. They're not. You know, you're going to spend. I mean, we did some new construction as well um, with my company. We built, you know, a bunch, and you know, it, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of headaches for not a lot of upside from a from a profit perspective, but for a buy and hold. So, are you going to build it yourself for a buy and hold? No, and they're not building new ones. So, what I like to buy is in established neighborhoods. You know, this established neighborhoods where typically on the street you've got a lot of longtime homeowners who live there. You've got older trees. You've got established businesses. I, you know, and those types of neighborhoods tend to survive in big downturns because you have a lot of people who don't have, you know, who own houses outright. So you have fewer foreclosures, you have fewer, vol- you have lower volatility in those types of neighborhoods. 
And it's true if you look at what happened in Detroit, which is one of the areas I love to invest in. During the big recession, there's this misnomer about what happened in that city. Three things, there were three areas, and just, this is, I think, a good example for your audience to, to pay attention to across the country because every real estate market is local, right? And there's not one universal sort of bubble. What happened in Michigan is that the A-class neighborhoods got hit the hardest. Those guys that were making a lot of money lost their jobs. Those businesses got you know, crushed and they, they lost their jobs and these $400,000 homes suddenly were you know, dealing with foreclosures. Then the really run down sort of ghetto part of town, that, you know, that had its trouble to begin with. It was always going to have its trouble and that continued to have trouble. But it were those C-class blue collar neighborhoods where yes, they saw a little decline in value, but those people actually did not lose their jobs. In fact, there's a cover story I think in December of last year, cover of Forbes magazine about Jamie Dimon and how he saved Detroit. That whole article talks about this exact issue and how those types of you know, breakdowns in the one area where I invest actually remained stable. Those people still worked at the hospital. Those people still worked at the factories, at the FedEx distribution centers and the Amazon distribution hubs and those types of places. So, you know, there is a demand for those single family homes that have a yard that someone can come home at the end of the day, pull into their own driveway mm. and not have to be butted up against somebody else banging on the walls at two in the morning. Right. And, and before, I guess there wasn't the option for them maybe, or there was the option, but the house was falling apart. And here you're mm. providing new appliances, new things in the house, uh, in addition to the yard and the, the parking pad or what have you. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that philosophy. Hey, rock stars. Are you worried that your next set of leads will be a total waste of time and money? Or maybe that those missed calls and texts are turning potential clients into missed opportunities? You should be because these are two huge problems that will absolutely ruin a real estate business's profitability. Fortunately, Rebus CTO Austin Altman and I have come up with a solution. Rebus Complete, and it's got everything you need to maximize conversion, commissions, and profitability. Guys, this is the total package. When you sign up, not only are you getting the best training in the industry, every single course we offer, you're getting high quality exclusive leads and access to the most advanced follow-up systems on the market. I've got Austin on the line now to talk about what Rebus Complete has to offer. Hey Austin, why don't you start by telling our listeners about the leads we send our members? Sure. Well, like you said, Pat, these are high quality. They're not just people who are passively interested in real estate. They are people who are actively looking to buy and or sell in our members market right now. Also, Every single lead we send is 100% exclusive. We aren't sending the same leads out to hundreds or even thousands of agents like most lead distributors. When an agent gets a lead from our program, it's theirs and theirs alone. Wow, and these leads are integrated into our automated follow-up system, right? That's absolutely right. All of our leads are managed by the system's state-of-the-art AI. And what's awesome about that is the fact that it not only makes extremely fast contact with incoming leads, but it can also be configured to book appointments based on agents availability automatically. It's a foolproof system. 
no more missed contacts, and no more missed opportunities. Wow, that's kind of cool. Actually, it's quite incredible. Uh, guys, like the experts say, it takes speed to lead to succeed. If you're not able to respond to a lead within five minutes, you might as well forget about it. Yeah, it really is the answer to the follow-up problem that causes agents to lose potential business. And it's not just great for the hot leads we're sending to our members. The system also nurtures leads that aren't ready to take action today. It does everything from emails to text to ringless voicemails, even physical postcards. The system makes sure that whenever a lead is ready to buy or sell a home, our members are the agent that they think about first. <laughs> Man, I wish I had that when I was selling real estate. All right, Austin, this is great. Why don't you just tell our listeners how they can get more information on Rebus Complete? Sure. Either they text Rebus, R-E-B-U-S, to 444-999, or they can go directly to hybendigital.com slash Rebus. The page has more information on the program. In fact, it's got a video really going into a little bit of detail about what the program has to offer. And it also includes a form that agents can complete to book a complimentary discovery call. Oh, and if you're interested in becoming a Rebus Complete member, you're going to want to act fast. Before I forget, I wanted to mention that we assign slots on a zip code basis so that we can ensure that leads are exclusive. Unfortunately, that means once a slot for a zip code is full, we're not able to take on any new members in that area. Guys, you don't want to miss out on this. Pause the podcast and go to hybendigital.com slash Rebus. That's hybendigital.com slash R-E-B-U-S or simply text R-E-B-U-S, Rebus, to 444-999. That's Rebus to 444-999. Hey, and if you're enrolled in any Rebus course, don't forget to mention that during your complimentary call, what we're going to do for current customers is waive the entire membership setup fee. This is a game changer, guys, and I guarantee that you're going to regret it if you miss your chance to join. Pause the podcast and go to hybendigital.com slash Rebus or just text the word Rebus, R-E-B-U-S, to 444-999. That's Rebus to 444-999 now. Now, let's do a little point counterpoint here, if you don't mind, um, because, you know, we've had some people on the show that are multifamily mm -hmm. guys that, that, that love apartments and their whole sales pitch, right, uh, for lack of a better word, is go multifamily, go apartments for one economy of scale on the, the work that needs to be done, right, the repairs, mm -hmm. And number two, for less repairs, right? Because you got one roof, you got, you know, one, you know, parking lot. You get, you know what I mean? Rather than mm -hmm. all these. And that when you own single family homes, and I can, I can appreciate this comment because uh, I own 12 single family rentals and I own multifamily. So I own both. So is that the repairs kill me every year. Every year there's like out of those 12, there's at least two if not three them like what the hell happened you know, <laughs> oh, you know what, septic system exploded or the you know somebody moved a tenant moved out and left it uh, disarray and it was seventeen thousand dollars of rehab you know there's new 
AC units. One year I had like three different AC units on, on twelve. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so, so it makes people shy away from buying older single-family homes and gravitate towards you know multifamily. Right. Well, you know, a couple of things to unpack there. One, if I could ask you this question, because I would sort of ask on those on those twelve rentals, what type are they? Are they A class, B class? Are they more expensive? Did you pay more than like one hundred and fifty thousand for them? Some of them I bought fifteen between fifteen twenty years ago, but yeah. The, um, so yeah, there all of them I paid under two hundred, but it's not what us, several of them are worth now. But anyways, let's say they're all between. They're all worth between a buck fifty and five hundred right now, currently today. And um, so. okay, no, that's good because I mean, my sort of core philosophy on buying single families is that you should never buy anything above one fifty. And right. you could really maybe push it to one seventy five, but I think the numbers bear this out. And I learned this many years ago from one of my mentors in this was because when you get beyond one hundred and fifty thousand in value, the rent simply doesn't keep up with. That, that value. So the idea that you'd spend $1,000 on rent or you'd make, you know, make $1,000 on rent when it's renting, you bought it for one fifty. In your mind, if it goes up to, if you paid 200000 well, man, I should probably be getting $1,500 a month in rent. And if I paid two fifty, I should be making 2000 a month in rent. It simply just doesn't happen, right? Um, so to me, 150 is kind of the cutoff. So I stay below that. And that means, technically, that means a lot of, you know, fewer moving parts, they're kind of like bunkers. I don't have garage door openers to worry about. I don't have appliances to worry about. My tenants pay for all their own appliances in our properties. I, I'm not putting AC units in properties. If the tenants want a window unit in the rooms that they want to keep cool, that's what they do. Um, so fewer moving parts. They're, they're just sort of like 900 square foot, 1,000 square foot bunkers. You know, They're great properties, but they don't have garbage disposals and all these extra things that you get when you start paying a lot more for properties and you know, those A-class neighborhoods. So that's why I stay away from some of that stuff. I like to say A-class neighborhoods cause A-class headaches. So that's one part of it. <laughs> if we're going to do- what, point- what he means by A-class neighborhoods, uh, just so everybody understands, is you know higher-end neighborhoods, newer, age-wise, much newer, you know, richer neighborhoods. More entitled tenants, let's be honest, right? It's the- Well, of course, yeah. You know, it's the it's the more entitled tenant that feels that they can call you at all hours of the night and less likely to fix something themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there are those pieces to it. So just on that front, I will, I'll, I'll kind of understand where we're at from a single family perspective. Now, as it relates to multifamily, look, I don't. I have a few multifamilies, uh, smaller multifamilies, but I, I just say when you, you can read John Schaub's great book on this and you know it bears it out in the numbers that you're going to have a higher vacancy rate. You tend to have a much higher vacancy rate in multifamily properties because unless you have larger bedrooms, so unless you've got like a duplex and each side has three large bedrooms and two bathrooms where a family tends to nest for a while, in those larger multifamilies, you just tend to have more transient tenants. They're not going to sign five-year leases. They don't tend to stay a long, long time. So, I, and I'll ask you this, what's your experience in your multis? Do you have more transient tenants in those properties because they're smaller, they don't have a yard, they don't have their own driveway? I guess they do need, um, you know, like you said, if, if they want to move up or out, right, mm, to yeah. a yard where they can have a dog and all that, then yeah, they'll move out, right? Yeah. They, 
it depends. Like one of them that does real well is two-level townhouses. There's like 150 two-level townhouses. There's a little yard in the back for a dog or whatever, and tends to be less with there. But I understand what you're saying. And, and so, but you made a statement. You said like the large multifamily market, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know what word, what adjective you use. It basically said it's not smart right now. Right. And so this, again, because I'm not a multifamily investor, I listen to the, the experts on this, um, you know, as a former journalist in me, just getting those, you know, facts, fa- facts on the ground. Um, you know, Ken McElroy, one of the great multifamily investors, um, we had, uh, we had lunch a few months ago and he said, look, I'm just not, right now I'm selling off a bunch of stuff because the, the value is not there. He said, I see value right now in single family residential. He said, but in the multifamily space right now, he said, people are buying stuff with like a 3% you know, return. Um, and simply they're buying it for tax shelter purposes, but they're not doing it. He, he likes to at least have a minimum of 8%. You know, on the stuff I do, I'm an 8, 10, 12% return. And he said, you just can't find these deals right now. And if you can, they're just being overpriced. They're just way overpriced. And so he says, he said, I'm selling off a bunch of stuff and sitting and waiting until, you know, there's a correction because it's just overpriced. So right he's now. not going into single family either. He's, he's selling multi, but he's sitting in cash. Yeah. I think, you know, he's, I think he's gotten to a certain point where, you know, he, he certainly owns some single families, but he's well, you know, he's well steeped in the, the $50 million. Yeah, most people, obviously they do the opposite. It's a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They get in the flips, they get in the buy and holds of the little houses and then they go to single family. I mean, then they go to multi yeah. commercial. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. I think it's a good place to start. I think it's an easy way. If you get a portfolio of 10 single family properties where you're now hit financial freedom, then you can take that next step, but it is a different animal. You know, it, it, you can start to make those connections on the multifamily space. I think about selling them all the time. Pretty much every time I get my uh, look at my numbers, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I make money. I make good money. I get good horizontal income on them because my debt service is so low. But, but I don't like looking at the expenses. But I, luckily, I have not sold. I've held on, and I figure it's just a balanced portfolio. You know, I probably got just as much equity in. Yeah, you- in uh, in multifamilies, and then I got some commercial real estate, and I just don't. Um, it's kind of a balance, right, of things. But it's interesting. You say some people really are really seeing values in single families. You know, my friend David Osborne had just started a 
a hedge fund uh, or a private equity fund, and they're basically that's all they're the fifty million dollar fund, and that's all they're doing is investing mm-hmm. in single family buy and holds, which you know most uh, private equity money you know, like. There's no private equity, and it only like holds like I forget what he said, less than a couple percentages of all the single-family rentals, less than eight percent, I think. Ninety-two percent are owned by just onesie twosie investors, right? Eight mm-hmm. percent is owned by private equity money, and so there seems he feels that there's a lot of upside there. I think there is. And I think, you know, the, the thing with a lot of these hedge funds, they buy, or at least they have traditionally bought them incorrectly. They, they've bought them, then they've spent too much money on over upgrading them. And they've then sat with them vacant. And a lot of these cities, they don't want, you know, Detroit is really, you know, clamped down on, so is Indianapolis and other, they've really clamped down on these vacant houses that are sitting there causing problems. So the city will come down on you to start, you know, a $500 fine. You know, get this house boarded up. If it's not boarded up, you got to do that. And then if the hedge funds can't find contractors, good quality contractors, and these houses sit there vacant, the city, before you know it, it's 500 then it's a $2,000 fine. And then before you know it, this hedge fund that didn't have their ducks in a row with, with contractors and property management, now they've got to start selling these properties off that are causing them to be big problems because um, they've got a lot of investors right now saying, hey, plant, park my money, park my money. And so they're sort of being forced into making big purchases. I can Right, because as the, the money sitting in cash, it's getting 0% and that just looks bad. Right. Well, and also just from a tax shelter perspective, like Ken McElroy was saying to me, he said, you know, he got outbid on a property where it ended up trading. I think it was, ended up being like a 0% return. What? Yeah, because they just wanted a tax shelter. You know, you got these this large fund that wanted them to park their money somewhere as a tax shelter away from away from sitting in cash and away from the stock market. And so, yeah, I think that's where a lot of these hedge funds make a mistake. We saw that in Tampa. I saw that in Indianapolis. I saw that in Michigan. And they've been selling off packages of 20 of these properties at a time over the past five, six years. So all this you said you saw recently. In the last five years or so. Yeah, I mean, I still see, I, I've still seen the fallout from some of these big hedge funds buying stuff in Indianapolis where they're still selling off some properties that they haven't gotten rehab that have just still been sitting there and where they either overspent on the rehab um, and they can't then find, like it's out of whack with the neighborhood. Um, they just frankly didn't know what they were doing. And well, do you think that's just because they don't have enough boots on the ground or they mm-hmm. just, just have too much money to spend and they're just buying whatever they're not analyzing it right i think that's the case but i also think they have on yes yes well the lack of boots on the ground but also unreal expectations about what they can then do with this property yeah you know just because you put granite countertops in a property in a in a certain neighborhood you know a d-class neighborhood or whatever else they're buying them up um, doesn't mean that it's going to rent for two hundred dollars more than you think it will for the neighborhood it's just not going to happen so, so it's interesting. So you say no air conditioners, mm-hmm. no garbage disposals, or what, what else? I mean, because I, I can see how, like, if I was going to buy a bunch of houses in Detroit and I was going to rehab them and rent them, it would almost, it would be just so tempting to do that thinking I'm going to, you know, that, that that's the right thing to do. What, so what else are you doing to stay conservative in that realm? 
Well, I mean, look, I go into a property and if the windows are fairly recent, you know, addition windows, I'm not going to waste money where hedge funds might come in and waste money on putting in brand new windows, even though they're perfectly fine and they've been there for six years and they work great. Eight You're years. just slower mm -hmm. at, at, at replacing things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, you know, again, not putting in, I'm not over upgrading certain things in the property. You know, garage, for instance, a perfect example, like in, in Michigan, most tenants don't really ever use them and they just, they park in the drive. They don't want it. Uh, so I'm not going to spend all this kind of money on revitalizing a garage. In fact, if anything, I'll tear it down. It's more of a pain to, you know, to maintain this garage if we're not using it. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, uh, putting in PEX plumbing and those types of things, but just, you know, not putting in those additional bells and whistles. Like I learned the hard way, the first few properties I ever did there. You know, I spent too much money on over upgrading, putting in appliances and, uh, you know, those types of things. And that, you know, tenant will buy their own appliances and they, that, they <laughs> can, you know, they tend to, they buy them, they get a package of them and then they kind of move with them from year to year, you know. Every so you don't put washers and dryers in them? No, no. But I made that mistake when I first started putting washers and dryers in. You know, those are the things that break, putting in stoves and you got to go fix heating elements and stuff on the stove. I, just don't do that. And that's on so the you don't even put in a stove? No. Nope. Because you assume they'll have a microwave. <laughs> right? I mean, right? Well, I mean, no, they're, they're bringing their own stove. They're, they're buying a really? refrigerator, a stove, a dishwasher if they they're want. They're buying a refrigerator, stove, mm -hmm. and dishwasher? You know, you can get at these great scratch and dent places, top, you know, top of the line, good looking, you know, washers and dryers and things. Wow, I'm just surprised. I mean, I guess maybe it's a market thing. I mean, I would think I would be afraid if I put a place on a market without a kitchen appliances, the people would be like, hey, where's my appliances? Now, again, it does come down to the market, right? We're talking different neighborhoods. So I do have some properties that I own in North Carolina where I did because the market demanded it. I put in appliances mm -hmm. and, you know, that's fine um, because I knew that the market demanded it. But where I'm at in the certain sections of Detroit and outside of Detroit, and, you know, in, uh, in Inkster and other spots, you know, that's a massive area, right? We're and are they just scrappier culturally wise? Like they, they're scrappier in that it, it, they're, they're not phased by, oh, you know, we need to go pick up a used dishwasher. They're not phased by, oh, I got a guy or I got, I know where to get that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those. I remember I bought, hey, you know, I remember my, the first place I bought when I moved to Orlando, Florida, I didn't go to Home Depot and buy my washer and dryer set or my dishwasher. I went to, there was a place called, I don't know, it was a big, big place. You'd see their commercials on TV and I bought my scratch and dent appliances and they worked great. They had like a little nick on the side. You can't even tell you know, but they can't sell it retail at the Home Depot. So they get it at these scratch and dent places. They work perfectly. It's just like going to an outlet and buying a Ralph Lauren polo shirt at the, at the outlets, right? It may have a little thread that you can't tell, you know, it's like they, they know that's why they sent it to the outlet store and you, you know, you save 40%. So yeah. And, but it's a mentality. Like I, I, I hit a guy's car recently, knocked off his um, side view mirror and he came out, he was, was a worker. He was working on a house. I was like, dude, you know, here's, you know, I can give you my cell phone or whatever. You can send me the bill, whatever, because, you know, it was clearly, it was my fault. He was like, well, why don't you just give me, you know, whatever cash you have and I'll, I'll go to a junkyard and buy a used one. So I gave him 50 bucks, like, you know, and he was happy as hell, right? And it would have cost like 200 mm -hmm. if he took it to a dealer or something. And I thought, 
you know, that dude's, you know, culturally he was very uh, scrappy and, and like, like he was, he, he was not, he, it was no big deal for him to go to a junkyard. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to a junkyard. It's like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I think resourceful and frugal and, you know, they, they're going to get a great rental property. They just are responsible for their appliances. And that's kind of comes with the territory. And it's, it's that particular market. I certainly, like I said, I've been on other markets where, you, yes, you provide the appliances. That's not part of that local culture. But in Michigan, in these certain areas where I invest and certainly in these certain neighborhoods, it's part of that culture that that way they take care of them. You know, they take care of these appliances and they don't have to, then they move with them. Plus, it's, you know, it's harder to move that stuff. So they tend to stay for a lot of years. So there, there's like cranes everywhere. Any, every major city you go to, I, at least that's what pops up on my reticular activator. It's these cranes, right? There's cranes everywhere. And most of them are multifamily, right? They're building apartment buildings, luxury apartment buildings. Luxury. Both of my daughters moved into like high-rise luxury apartments with just crazy rents, but that's exciting to them, right? Is this too much? I mean, is what's going on here? Like, where are all these people going to come from? Are they going to know and what are they not doing instead? You know, mm. like, well, they're not buying, you know, first time. Well, we're seeing this right now in the slow, you know, first time home buyer market, right? First time home buyer market, we're seeing the rates going up to 5%, you know, and over probably another rate hike later this year. That hurts first time home buyers more than any other marketplace, as, you're in, as your agents know. And so those millennials that want to live downtown, those people want to live down close to the city and they want to be where the nightlife is, they're moving to those places in downtown Detroit. I mean, these condos and rentals downtown Detroit so they can be by the restaurants. You see these revitalization, all these new condos and apartments being built in downtown Indianapolis. And, we, you know, they run the risk, though, of overbuilding because, right, it takes what, it's like you're looking at like five-year turnaround time by the time you get permits approved and money in the pipeline, these things go up and the cranes go up. And then, like we saw in Brooklyn, you now have like an over amount of these of these you know high high end uh, apartments going up, and it doesn't look like there's going to be as many people to fill them as they had hoped. Um, so you run that risk. Um, but again, these people just are not buying those first time home buyer uh, houses, and that's great for us as rental investors. Um, you know, but I also think there's a great opportunity for agents in this. And Do you think it's a okay? So, what's the opportunity for agents? Well, I think the real opportunity for real estate agents right now, and any of your agents listening right now who take this advice and go for it, I think you're going to be seeing an you know enormous upside to this, which is to niche is to niche down into mm -hmm. a certain area. So, what do I mean by that? I mean if you're you know your main market is those two hundred thousand dollar homes, those maybe those are a first time home buyer market, and you're just seeing a slowdown, you're just sitting there complaining. Well, guess what? There's tons of investors out there who would love those, you know, mostly inexpensive single family homes. If you're able to bring them to them at a good price, if you're able to find them and bring them these deals, investors will snap them up all day long. That's what I do. That's what I love. That's where the real value is in right now. And yes, it might not be for a retail buyer that has to go through and get FHA, you know, qualify and go through that whole rigmarole. But what if you can work with these cash buyers? You know, in Detroit, 87%, this was a Wall Street Journal cover story a few weeks ago, 87% of homes being sold in that area right now, cash. And what, that's great for the in neighborhood. Detroit? Yes. First time home buyers saving up actually have that money to make these purchases 
and also investors. That means stability. So when we have go through some big downturn again, you're not going to see foreclosures in these neighborhoods. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk about this, right? Do you really think it's first time buyers buying houses for cash? I mean, that's, it's got to be, the majority of that's got to be investors. Right? And, a and, good chunk of it. According to the Wall Street Journal, it's a lot of first time home buyers. That I, would, I just don't see it. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know, but, but maybe it is. And then, but they're fixing them up too. So if they're picking them up for 30, 35,000, it needs 20,000 in work. They're moving into them and doing the work over five year period. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that and that assumption. And it sounds like it would be just investors, but they are first time homebuyer investors who are willing to move into a house that does need $30,000 worth of work. And they're going to do it over time, sort of maintenance over time in order to bring this property up. They're seeing real value. And guess what? They're getting the tax breaks to do it too. They're also getting the payroll tax cut. So you move in Detroit right now, you move out of the, the exurbs and into that area, you're noticing that on your paycheck, you're actually getting a tax incentive from moving to the incorporated Detroit metro area. And you're actually making more on your paycheck just to move to closer to your place of employment. So, yeah, that's smart. That's yeah, smart. Big comeback city, you know? Hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, this has been fun, man. Um, we could talk about this stuff all day long. I want to get into your free gift, first of all. What, um, As you know, everybody that comes on uh, brings a free gift with them. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in your show notes. This is your second time here. So I want to put it on uh, hybendigital.com backslash Clayton Morris 2. That's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, Morris with two R's. And the number 2, along with all of your contact information, everything about you, your company, social media links, that sort of thing. What uh, free gift did you bring today, Clayton? Well, I believe we have, hopefully it's in, in the toolbox. If it's not already there, I'm going to give you everyone the thing that changed my life, which is a financial freedom cheat sheet. Where people can reverse engineer and figure out how many rental properties it would take for them to live financially free. Put that in there. We'll make sure that that's in there for sure, because that's the thing that changed my life. Okay, uh, great. Yep. Yeah, we'll make sure that's in there. Plus, I also want to give them away. We, we give away, a, we put together a video that took us a long time to build. I call it my ultimate passive income guide um, to help people build passive income. We walk through all stages of it. And uh, it's a very comprehensive video. Um, it's about 70 minutes or so. So sit down with a pad of paper and a pen, grab a loved one, grab a bottle of wine and kind of go through it. Um, we're going to send that over to you as well so people can have access to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll put it, and and I'm pretty sure that's what you brought last time. But but I'll definitely uh, re up it on your uh, landing page here. Your uh, what am I saying? Show notes where your show notes are, and I'm also going to put it in the in the uh, agent success toolbox, which is hybendigital.com backslash toolbox, or texting the word toolbox to four 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 nine nine nine. I do want to have you talk a little bit about your Financial Freedom Academy because we've got a special uh, offer for our listeners with regards to this. So go ahead and talk, talk to everybody about it. Yeah, and you've got a special link where everyone can sign up and, and take the course. We worked all uh, summer and into the fall on this course. Natalie and I did building our Financial Freedom Academy. Um, it's uh, 10 modules plus a, a nice bonus module on how to pay off your house in five years using one of our killer strategies that we've used. So we walk you through that. We give that away for free in the course. It really teaches you how to understand the difference between your liabilities and turning those into performing assets. We get deep into the homework. We get out 
about the Excel spreadsheets. We look under the hood of your personal finances and we help you build financial intelligence in this course. It's the course that I wish, it, you know, it's like 15 years of my knowledge and my wife's knowledge and all of the things that we've done with our, you know, structuring our LLCs and our, the way that we pay, you know, our, our children in taxes and how they're able to maximize their self-directed IRAs. It really is like a masterclass on, on financial education. And it's the, it's the stuff that I wish I had when I was 23, 25, 30 years old. You know, it's all in there. That's awesome. Well, um, if you guys want more information on that or just want to check it out, just go to hybendigital.com backslash freedom. That's hybendigital.com backslash freedom. We got a special discount in there for all the uh, rock star nation. Uh, Clayton, listen, this has been a blast, buddy. I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, I'll definitely uh, look to connect with you more in the future. Awesome, man. Great seeing you again, and have a great uh, rest of the year, buddy. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button. Yes, hit subscribe, please. The more subscribers that we get on Real Estate Rockstars, the better guests are attracted to the shows. We'll get more guests from the top companies, from the top teams, and even more celebrity guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. Also, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and Join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers, and I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram, as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.